he, he's just so angry. Even last week in Baku, when they sent him out without a toe, he came out and he went, right? Without a toe? Need a toe. I, mean, I missed that. What, what, did he have nine toes? No. Oh, that is the worst joke I've ever heard in my life. He sent him out without a toe? <laughs> How much wine have you consumed tonight? That is terrible. Zero. How does, probably... does it, on a serious note, how does a driver function with only nine toes? Because surely the... You're listening to the Cut to the Race podcast. It's lights out, and away we go! podcast it is uh, just after the french grand prix which is usually miserable and boring but um today i don't think it was uh, on the show with me we have callum how are you hello i'm very good mate how are you yeah i'm not too bad not too bad not the result you, we were after you, today down yet have you calmed down yet after the race or no 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 the blood's still flowing the tension's still high it. adrenaline's still going half a bottle of wine in trying to calm myself down mate it's horrible <laughs> But at least you had a good result. Um, and we have Dan the Bottas fan. How are you? Not great, I'll be honest. Um, I would have been a lot better if the team had listened to Valtteri, but we'll get we'll get onto that throughout the podcast, will, I'm sure. Will. It was probably his best result of the season, wasn't it? No, not quite, not quite. <laughs> awesome. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about uh, the French Grand Prix today, which was... Um, a very, very spicy, entertaining race. Um, but before we do, uh, thanks to all the listeners who have uh, given us feedback on the Crofty podcast. We're glad you enjoyed it. I tell you what, we had a heck of a lot of fun recording it. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, and also a big happy birthday to Crofty this weekend. Um, I believe he was, should I say? It was his birthday, let's just say that. He's 51. Oh, shit, I said it, Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Crofty. Um, so yeah, and we've we've just finished. Well, I say we've. Um, Dan and Charlotte from the Fallen Nerds team uh, have just finished. Uh, what, what have you been doing, Dan? We had a nice little chat with Mario Rosola from Pirelli, finding out all the tire drama from last week, this week, and the future of Pirelli. I swear you're on the phone to him on Wednesday as well, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm always on the phone to Mario. Best mates, me and Mario. Oh, it seems like it. Okay. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, so uh, let's actually start with that. Let's start with the news. And I think the biggest news that we've had um, over the last uh, week or so has been the tyre drama of Baku. So uh, you you went to the Pirelli press conference on Wednesday. Do you want to just talk me through what was said? Yeah, I mean, Pirelli launched their own investigation into this tyre drama and then Pirelli concluded Pirelli weren't at fault. So uh, no surprises there, really. They also said the teams weren't at fault. So it's kind of still not really clear exactly who they're blaming. Um, Pirelli did say that the teams ran their tyres outside the designated parameters, uh, Red Bull and Aston Martin I'm referring to here, the two teams that had the failure, but they haven't placed sole blame on them. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one. Nothing's nothing's particularly clear, but they've brought in a few new testing regimes and rules and regulations, partly from Pirelli, partly from the FIA, uh, for this week going forwards before 2022. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we won't see any of those scary accidents again. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought if we were going to, we probably would have today on uh, the Mercedes cars, right, of how long they went. But it, it's been another another weekend ruled by really the tyres again. But um, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, it's glad to see that uh, there were no blowouts or anything like that. And actually, tyres are really adding an interesting dimension to F1 at the moment. Let's be honest, it's uh, it, it's it's causing havoc. Um, what, what else is going on in the news, Dan? Well, we've got Romain Grosjean's test with Mercedes that was sadly cancelled due to all sorts of COVID-19 restrictions and rules and regulations. Um, Mercedes have said that they're going to reschedule it for later in the year. But it's a shame because it would have been at his home track and he was meant to initially have the uh, practice runs in front of his home fans at the Grand Prix as well. But never mind, his time will come in the Mercedes. Do we think that this is actually going to happen? I mean, I know it was a promise on, you know, after the the big crash he had. But do you think that Toto Wolff is going to let a man who is actively known for crashing cars into his very expensive, nice Mercedes? Do you, yes. do you think it's actually going to happen? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a well, it'll be nearly three years old by the time he gets in it as well, Mercedes. It's not the latest one. W10. But, um, oh, he's going in the W10. He's, going yeah, in the W10. Yeah, right. he's not going to have all that bad press of promising this to this man that F1 career ended in the way Grosjean's did and then go, <laughs> not anymore. So, so it's nothing to do with the, the... There's an IndyCar race this weekend. Well, in, in fact, it's on at the time of we are The recording. IndyCar race stopped his practice laps before the French Grand Prix. That was cancelled a few weeks ago. Um, but the actual test next week was cancelled because of COVID restrictions and all sorts. Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's that. And then on the IndyCar front as well, we've got Kevin Magnussen making his IndyCar debut for the Arrow McLaren SP team, which, of course, is Zach Brown. So he's in the McLaren family now. Uh, he's replacing... Felix Rosenquist, not sure if I pronounced that effort. right, um, who's, who got injured last week, so obviously we wish him all the best. But yeah, I'm excited to see what Kevin can do in IndyCar, because I think he had a lot of potential in F1 that we didn't quite see. Is that a permanent change, or is that just while he's injured? I believe it's just while he's injured. Right, okay, so was there any anything on the horizon for Kevin other than IndyCar, was he going anywhere else or was he just literally waiting for a seat somewhere? He is racing in a series, but I don't have the name of it. Right, so it can't be that great then, can it really? To be brutally honest. We'll, we'll find out what that is and we'll update it as we yeah. find out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, just before um, we started recording this, I, I just, just saw the intro to the IndyCar. And um, K-Mag was looking a bit like a, a, a... He looked like he'd aged about 40 years. Um, did, did either of you see that? Uh, I didn't see that. Yeah, I know he's got a beard now. Um, a that's beard, the only, yeah. that's yeah. the only thing I've seen. Kevin Magnussen is racing in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, driving for Chip Ganassi Racing, uh, as well as the World Endurance Championships for Peugeot. So he's got a few things on his plate this year, to yeah, be fair to him. He's doing bits, isn't he? But he's, he looks like a Danish Gandalf now, so that's... Not going his way, really. <laughs> I know at least one of the series he's racing with his dad. So I think he's doing that more for sentimental value than um, actually trying to win a championship. But who so knows, maybe they... The, he's doing the lads and dads league of the motorsport world. <laughs> I don't think it's all lads and dads. Well, that's a, that's a bit like uh, Verstappen, isn't it? Hey, leave, <laughs> leave Big Yoss out of this. He, he's good in his own right. Was he... Okay, so we've covered lads and dads. We've covered uh, Grosjean in a Mercedes. We've covered uh, K-Mag getting back in a racing car. Uh, sorry, uh, well, a, a Formula car. 
Uh, we can cover Ocon in an Alpine, who has signed a three-year contract extension, taking him to 2024. That's a long contract. You don't see many three-year contracts in F1 anymore. I was just about to say, one, I'm very surprised at the length of the contract, and two, I'm very surprised, based on the start of the season he's had, that he's had an extension at all at this point. Like, fair enough. If it is very season, early. Yeah, if at the end of the season he's matched Alonso, then fair enough, give him an extension. But, you know, at the time of the contract, we'd only had six races and he's behind Alonso in the championship by seven points, which for Alpine is a long way. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it just seems a bit preempted to me that, that, I think that, they, that they, it was going to happen anyway. It's almost like they've realised, oh, Right, we're a French team. Ah, oh, right, we've got French driver. Ah, oh, crap, the French is. Grand Prix's coming up. Let's get some good PR in there. That's almost how it feels to me. I- I'll be honest, I'm not sure I would have signed him. He- he's a bit of a midfield driver. The other name that was in the mix with Alpine, of course, was Pierre Gasly, who's also French. And it really poses a big question for Pierre as to where the hell does he go now? Because he's not going to want to stay at Alpha Tauri. Red Bull, I just can't see having him back. He might have reached a bit of a stalemate in his career well you, you know Pierre was saying you know a few races ago and at the beginning of the season oh I'm staying with Alpha Tauri you know I'm happy there now I'm performing all this I wouldn't go back to Red Bull I was watching an interview this weekend That's with him true he was like you know we'll see what the future holds you know I, I, and, and basically it's sounding like he's now expecting that he's performing to replace Perez is what I think he's he wants to get for. back in that Red Bull from what yeah. he was saying this weekend which really surprised me given the last time he was in it as a Red Bull fan, I feel like I should comment on this. When he was at Red Bull, he wasn't ready. He was brought in too early. He's gone back to Alpha Tauri. He's doing well. They're fifth in the championship. He is eighth in the championship in a midfield car. So, all's looking well. And I think he's come back. He's shown he's got consistency now, which is what he was missing at Red Bull. He'd have a couple of flashes of brilliance and then drop back in the pack so I think he can do it I'd like to see him back at Red Bull but I think uh, Alex Albon might have something to say about that as well so I think the problem with Red Bull is there's too many options I made this point on the podcast last week Red Bull have got too many drivers and not enough seats they've got Albon and Gasly who want to get into the main Red Bull they've got Perez there who's performing amazingly and they've got three four five drivers in F2 as well that are going to want the seat it's it, they've doomed themselves by having such a large young driver pool. You're right. The F2, um, the F2 grid just looks like a, a race of, of half cars and then just Red Bull cars. It's, it's, it must be yeah. so difficult to commentate on that. No, no. <laughs> oh, I, I tried to think because they're all from different teams as well. So it's not even like they're all, both from high tech. They're both Red Bulls this year, and then you've got all everything else that's a Red Bull. It's a bit of a shambles, really. So we've we've, we've had um, we've had Ocon's uh, contract confirmed. There's been a lot of rumours, though, uh, over the last week about um, details being firmed up for another driver change, hasn't there, Dan? There has. There's been a lot of rumours over the Russell Bottas swap at Mercedes, which I personally think are nothing more than rumours at this moment. Because I'm not saying that there's no way Russell's replacing Bottas. I'm not saying there's no way it, it working the other way around. But Toto Wolff is smart enough to not, put anything down on paper in the media any whispers at this stage of the season because if he says to Bottas yeah you're going to Williams next year Bottas will be like all right come fight Red Bull on your own then he's not going to say that now at the moment Bottas is still fighting for his seat so I think these are nothing more than rumors later in the season 
yes, these will recur again and with much more force, but not now. What what I will say on that is I think that old saying isn't it? There's no smoke without fire. Um, I think somewhere in the Mercedes Mercedes the Mercedes camp there has been a slip up somewhere where there's been a conversation about it and someone's said it to the wrong person and it's ended up in the media and obviously the media are, are lighting it like wildfire. Um, there's no smoke without fire. I think there must have been something said somewhere along the line for it to be this big at this moment in time in the media. Yeah, and the people who have reported this is Sky F1. Okay, the Italian Sky F1. But that's They're not a- known for their reliability, the Italian Sky. <laughs> are they not? No, not massively. Okay. Uh, well, if you say Sky F1 as an English person, I feel that they are reliable. And especially from having the producers from Sky F1 on this podcast, they say, you know, it's... They don't want to break news first. They just want to report it accurately. So I guess they have different morals then from what you're saying, Dan. Of course, there's going to be talk about, you know, Russell and Bottas. Bottas hasn't had an amazing start to this season. Um, and I feel like this was probably a passing comment of someone going, oh, Russell would be good in the Mercedes that has been taken completely out of context and then exploded. I'm pretty sure that's all it can come down to at this stage of the season. That's, that's completely plausible. Yeah, it could just be Chinese whispers gone wrong. You never know. Bottas might have that seat already and there's a contract waiting on the table for him. It might be Bottas himself saying no and stalling the process. We we don't know until the fat lady sings, do we? So. One in, sorry, interrupted you there. One interesting thing was that uh, all drivers, Mercedes drivers, want their contracts signed up by the summer break. Bottas and Russell have said that and I think Hamilton said that as well, which is only a few weeks away. We've got two Austrias, Silverstone, Hungary and Spa, maybe? Are they before the summer break? So that's Spa's, not very long. Spa's usually after, but I don't know with this season when the summer break is. Either way, it's not very long before no. we're going to supposedly no. find out. Kel? Can I just say, how excited are you guys for that next series of events coming? Because the, the season so far has been genuinely brilliant. I don't think there's been a boring race yet. And then we've got those races that are usually good anyway. Austria. Twice, Silverstone, Belgium, Hungary, they're all usually good races. I can't wait. It's going to be... Oh, God, yeah. You're right, and we've got so many drivers that are fighting for positions as well, you know, that are out of contract. So I think, yeah, it is going to be interesting. Um, My opinion, for for what it's worth, is that, yeah, there's going to be... There's no chance on earth that there's going to be a mid-season change at Mercedes. No, no No way. Um... But are there discussions going on? Of course there are. Absolutely, 100%. And they've got to keep their options open, right? So, of course, Toto Wolff would have been having conversations with Russell's management. Duh, he's got to keep all options open. So, um, I think at the moment, it's looking like Botta- uh, sorry, Russell will take Bottas's seat next year. But we've got a long way to go yet. If, if that does turn out to be the case, I'm not saying it will, I'm not saying it won't. Obviously, I have no idea but he will delay it as long as possible before he makes that announcement because, one, it will cause uproar in the media, whatever he says, there'll be some unhappy people. And two, he needs Bottas to work his bum off this season because they've got a very close title fight. And as I said earlier, if he knows he's not going to be at Mercedes, he's not going to bother as much. I think think that's a really, really fair point. I mean, Red Bull are stealing it at the moment and they're just extending their lead. They need Bottas more than ever to be... um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, the wingman. 
Yeah, not the wingman, but focused and and fight, fighting because he cares, not just because he's getting paid for it. Yeah, I mean, what I will say is that Bottas, the situation with Bottas could well end up being um, how Ricardo left Red Bull. You know, Christian Horner never even knew about it. They could, Mercedes could be re- reversing the role perhaps with Bottas there. Toto's having conversation with Russell, getting the contract all sorted. Bottas doesn't have a clue. And then a, about a week before it happens, he's told. You never know what's going to happen with it, do you, I suppose? I was just about to say that I don't think Toto's that kind of guy. But the last couple of weeks, I think Toto's been a bit dodgy in the media. So I now no longer think that. I'll explain that. Yeah, Obviously, I know what you're going to say, Dad. It's all this who goes everyone out knows first. What everyone knows what I'm going to say, but oh. I'm saying it anyway. Oh, I've got a conspiracy theory against a Mercedes man. <laughs> Obviously, after um, Baku, when Bottas broke or gave Hamilton a toe both runs, and Toto said, oh, no, no, that's fair. They take it in turns to go out second week on week. This was Lewis's week to go out second. Fair enough. And I was like, oh, seems a bit dodgy to me. We'll see what happens this week. And Bottas went out first again this week and Hamilton was behind in both runs in Q3. So I'm right. And Toto was lying to the media. <laughs> have, have we finished our news yet? Because I've got more to say on this. Uh, no, we haven't. <laughs> okay, let's continue with the news and then I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back with the comeback. Okay. Um, still on Mercedes Red Bull. Mercedes have accused Red Bull's pit stop equipment of being illegal. Um, I don't really know much more than that. They... I haven't seen anything that says explicitly what, but they're just finding anything they can to have a little go at Red Bull at front ring, wearing drivers, pit crew, pit equipment, anything they can. They're trying. Yeah, it, it's all mind games. It's all mind games. And I think aren't the pit crew and the equipment supposed to be all the same anyway? I don't know if you can have more advanced sort of technology in your pit stops. I'm not sure. I'm not entirely 100%. The biggest difference I can see is that Red Bull are a better pit crew than Mercedes in terms of pit stop speed. Yeah, I don't think there's actually any difference. If you look at them, they all look exactly the same. So I can't imagine other than... No, in fact, because Pirelli give the torque settings and stuff, don't they? So I can't imagine that there's any difference, really. Yeah, so this this was... This was Helmut Marco coming out um, talking to, to the media saying, um, yes, Mercedes have been going on at us about the flexi wings. They've now been going on about the, the tyre pressures. And now they're um, saying that our, our, our pit equipment is is not right. Uh, there wasn't much more than that as to the details, but essentially Helmut Marco's just saying, yeah, they're picking on everything that they can at the moment. Mercedes have just been coasting along for years in the championship, haven't they, without any real fight? And this year they've got a fight, so they're having to play a bit dirtier than they have been. And I think that's why it's surprising everyone. You know, Red Bull were protesting every 30 seconds at everything last year when Mercedes are doing it. No one's expecting it, so it's a bit more shocking. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and 100% they should be protesting because if it is found to be illegal, then fair enough, they've done the right thing. And if not, yeah. they've not lost anything by protesting have they they need to protest absolutely everything they genuinely think is dodgy because otherwise they're not really competing are they they're just sort of letting them get away with it Christian Horner did it for Red Bull they they protested absolutely everything to try and get an edge to try and get anything back on them Mercedes are now doing the same thing to Red Bull it's just how the game works yeah yeah absolutely finally on the news front this isn't a confirmed bit of news but it's one that every F1 fan is hoping for. Silverstone appears to have the green light. 
to be a pilot event for the government and have a capacity crowd of 140,000 people. According to The Telegraph, they have published that, that talks have been really positive. Silverstone has said that they hope to release news by the end of the week. And as we're recording this, it's nearly seven o'clock on a Sunday night and we don't have any. So looks like they haven't met that deadline. Um, but God, I hope that people can be at Silverstone. Weren't the government going to sort of trial it as another test for having crowds and stuff? Yeah, supposedly sure it's that been that there. pilot event that's been confirmed, but there's just been no official announcement yet. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the Telegraph Sports can reveal that Silverstone will join Wimbledon singles final um, for a full capacity crowd on one of these um, uh, planned test events. I, I'll be honest here, I think everything that we've been through as a country, right, it makes me a little bit nervous. It, it In terms of COVID? Yeah, in terms of, right, we've been locked down for so long and we're just starting to see crowds back at football and it's and it's all done very well and, um, you know, it, gradually. And then we're going to have 140,000 people on the same field. And I don't know if our listeners have been to Silverstone, right, but there's not much space in between the seats. Right? There's, not, there's not a lot. There's no space between the seats. It's like a football stadium in terms of seat layout. I mean, you have to think about in the fact Silverstone is essentially a massive airfield. So it is all outside most people travel by car for the whole weekend there's not a lot of public transport mixing most people stay in sort of tents which they're away from each other people can social distance outside um obviously you most people at least have one vaccine um or a pcr test i know that's the two things they're considering so fingers crossed yeah, I mean, I hope I hope for the, the sake of all the fans that it goes ahead. Don't get me wrong there. It just seems like, well, okay. <laughs> we've, we're, we're, not even, we're not even finished in our restrictions yet and you're putting 140,000 people together. But do you know what? It's what we need. So happy days. Uh, it looks like it's going ahead. I don't think they're going to change their mind now. So roll on a Silverstone with full capacity crowd. That will be the best, probably the best Grand Prix of this year just for the fact that you've got 140,000 people there. Just for the atmosphere, 100%. I can't wait. I honestly can't. I mean, don't forget that, you know, Austria, Belgium, if they can have fans, the Dutch travelling to those two, they're crazy. They they usually make the atmosphere pretty good. So I think Silverstone could be rivaled this year if Belgium and Austria get their fans there as well. Um, make a quick point on fans. It's not related to Silverstone. France obviously had fans today. Um, so there was a track parade and all that sort of thing. And now I'm not one to defend him, but Mazepin was booed a lot by the fans. And I just feel like people need to begin to ease off on him slightly because he's actually crashed less than Schumacher. And I'm not defending him at all here. But, you know, everyone deserves a second chance sort of thing. He's just, give the guy a break for a little bit, I think. I agree. Everyone deserves a second chance. But if you are in need of a second chance, your attitude needs to be correct. You need to be a decent person. On track, he's not. Like last week in Baku, he caught Schumacher up. It was very dangerous. They were going at very high speed. I just think his whole attitude and his approach to the sport in general needs to change if he wants that second chance from people he needs to show he's actually a decent guy yeah I agree I don't like the guy <laughs> just mm. 
Just just standing up for him. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't want to see people standing there booing him at an event. I don't think that's right. Personally. No, and there shouldn't be any booing. And this is what I like about Formula One is there should never be any booing at any any motorsport event. You often, you sometimes see it, but not very often. Um, different compared to other sports where <laughs> you, 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 know, you see some real unsportsmanship behaviour. Should we talk about the race then, shall we? Go on, then. Go on, yeah. Let's talk about qualifying first, actually, because it was a bit of a dramatic qualifying. Um, Max Verstappen took the pole, but there are another two red flags. What is it with qualifying this year and red flags? Crofty uh, came up with the commentator's curse once again, or it was Brundle, it was one of the two. They're talking about uh, Sonoda hitting the wall at Imola, and they were like, or, and the red flags at Baku. They're like, oh, they'd have to have a bad crash for them to hit the wall here. Camera just pans to Sonoda in the wall. And I was just like, oh, Crofty, mate, what have you done there? What about the twerking um, Alpha Tauri? That was, uh, I've never seen anything like it, the amount of shaking that went through that. Yeah, it was, it was a bit vibratory, wasn't it? Going over the rough sandpaper, red stuff. Yeah. Wiggling its bum around. Yeah, it was. It was proper having a dance. Um, un- unusual. Um, that was one of the red flags. And then the second, uh, forgive me, I can't remember which way around it was, but Mick Schumacher in the wall caused a red flag. Yeah, he crashed. But he qualified in his best position ever. He, he did. Yeah, so there's, there's a recurring theme this season of, of something about good position. Yeah. Ferrari drivers slash young drivers and crashing to get a good position in qualifying. <laughs> You know, I think, again, it's a tactic. They get a good lap in before anyone else can do it, just bin themselves off the track. And then maybe that's what they teach now in the Ferrari Academy. Maybe they're there, getting there was a lot of, There's been a lot of talk about them changing the rules so that if you if you cause a red flag or crash, your time gets removed or you don't get where you were going, essentially. Um, there's been all this t- bloody talk about it, but it's happened again. I don't think... I don't like... That it's such a rare occasion that that happens. I personally, it's, not. it's happened three times this year. Yeah, okay, this year it has happened three times in three races. But personally, I I don't think it should it should be a thing. I wouldn't like to see it. I know that's probably unpopular, but and uh, yeah, the pace of the um, Red Bull looked pretty good all weekend, didn't it? I mean, let's um, let's just talk about Max Verstappen getting pole. Um, did you see that coming, Cal? To be, to be honest, I thought France was going to be a circuit where it would benefit the Mercedes. Um, but it seems like this season, the roles have reversed where Mercedes has usually got the high power, fast in a straight line, and Red Bull are better through the corners. But it seemed like the roles have reversed this season for whatever reason, don't know why. But having said that, Max was just on point all weekend, um, apart from a little bit in the race that we all get onto. He was on point all weekend. He didn't set a foot wrong. He's becoming a more mature driver. I feel like he's driving like a world champion this season. And I feel like if he wins it, it will be deserved. He will have fought for it. It will be everything he's needed to do to beat Lewis Hamilton fair and square. So I I can't fault him, to be honest, at the minute. No, I I, I think you're right. And I think Perez has, has started to come on form as well. Um, we've certainly saw that in, well, not in the practices, but in, at the end of quality. Pierre Gasly, he qualified well, qualified in six, um, just ahead of Charles Leclerc. I thought that was pretty good as well. Wasn't, wasn't that the third time this season he's qualified in the top six? In sixth, I think, yeah. 
Yeah, mate, he's he's flying. Yeah, he's doing really well, and I'm I'm glad for him as well. I'm really glad for him because he's really Something making about a good that. story for Netflix. Like Netflix is going to be brilliant again this year because of Gasly. So yeah, keep doing what you're doing, mate. Something about that Alpha Tauri car just clicks with Gasly. I don't know what it is and how it's different to the Red Bull, but oh, he just loves that car. Talking of Netflix, they were in the um, the I was going to say Renault, not the Renault. They were in the Alpine garage this weekend. Um, obviously, being the French Grand Prix, I don't think there's anything very exciting to see this weekend from the Alpine garage. Do you? Apart from the Ocon contract. It's pretty uneventful, isn't it? To be honest, they were pretty, pretty boring. I mean, I thought they were doing well, and then I realised they didn't take a pit stop during the race yet, and they dropped right back down. Um, spoiler alert, because we're not talking about the race yet, but you get what I'm saying. They they were pretty mediocre all weekend. So, all right, let's move on to the race then. Um, we had Max Verstappen starting on the front row uh, in first alongside Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Bottas in third, Perez fourth. So it's, again, just a Mercedes Red Bull battle, isn't it? Um, behind them, we had the Ferrari of Carlos Sainz, Pierre Gasly, as we've mentioned. Charles Leclerc in seventh, Norris in eighth, Alonso in ninth, that's a, a good result for him. And then uh, finishing off the top 10, we had Danny Rick starting in 10th today. So let's move on to the race. This was a race, um, again, dominated by tyres and uh, the strategy along with it. So um, before we start going through the race, uh, Charlotte and Dan caught up with Mario Isola, the head of Pirelli F1 earlier. Um, here's what he had to say. Uh, so I guess we'll start with the new rules and regulations that you have put in place this weekend. Do you now feel more confident that you have eliminated the issues that we have seen in Baku? First of all, consider that uh, the new regulations are implemented by the FIA because we are not the people who should uh, make the regulation. Obviously, when uh, we concluded our investigation from tires deflated in Baku, we uh, sent the report to the FAA and the FAA felt it was necessary to uh, upgrade, let's say, the technical directive that was already existing, but with uh, more strict controls and uh, additional controls. And uh, I feel that in any case, it's a good step in the right direction. Obviously, as I explained, we cannot have uh, the uh, monitoring of the running pressure because we don't have a standard sensor. And therefore, it's impossible to rely on sensors that are uh, coming from the teams. Uh, we need uh, an FIA sensor to police the running pressure. Uh, that uh, it's, it will be the case next year. So with with Baku moving on from Baku, you've added in testing procedures across the weekend that weren't necessarily all there before. Do you almost feel that you were being a bit too lenient before, which is why you've added them in now, or do you think these are just an additional step? No, it is an additional step uh, simply because in Formula One we have a, uh, a dynamic environment where obviously teams are exploring uh, any possible direction to gain performance. It is not just uh, about tires. There was a lot of talking about tires in the last weekend, but as you know, uh, recently there was a lot of discussion about flexible wings, last year about power units, and in, in the past about many other stuff. It's a matter of performance, and especially when you have a championship where 
many teams are so close. Uh, it, it is normal that uh, this uh, fight is becoming more and more uh, exacerbated because of this uh, situation where if you find a way to gain one tenth of a second in qualifying, you have, uh, I don't know, two, three positions, you know, it's, it's not uh, with one team that is dominating and the rest uh, is far away. That's why uh, the situation escalated. So you're kind of feeling the teams are getting clever, so therefore you need to get cleverer and it's like a constant battle. It is, but it is, uh, as I said, in any area of, uh, of the car, uh, look at the technical regulation that is obviously available on the FIA website uh, and you will discover that it is a, a document of, I don't know, 300 pages with, with a, yeah, appendixes or, or more. And probably if you go back by 20 years, you find a document that is, I don't know, 20 pages or something like that. So clearly every year, everything is more complicated with the hybrid power unit, uh, all the uh, engine is, is more complicated, the ch chassis, downforce, uh, um, and so on and so on. So in regards to today's race, a lot of the drivers complained about tyre degradation. Um, so what was the reason for this? Like, why was it so dramatic compared to the other few days this weekend? The point was the, the front left had some graining and graining was affecting the wear, especially the wear. And the reason why we had this situation was the uh, rain in the morning that uh, basically reset the track. Uh, the track was green, the temperatures were much cooler compared to Friday. They collected data on Friday with uh, more than 40 degrees, uh, close to 50 degrees of uh, track temperature, and the ambient was also much hotter than today. And with the uh, conditions today um, were completely different. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, generating some graining on the front. Uh, if you remember on Friday, everybody was talking about rear overheating. No, today, nobody was talking about rear overheating because uh, the front uh, uh, was the tire, the front left was the tire to look after. And uh, and obviously, with graining, you have a wear life that is shorter. Mm -hmm. So the one-stop strategy was still working. Hamilton was on a one-stop strategy, and most of the drivers were on a one-stop strategy. But at this point, with this graining, um, the two-stop strategy became uh, really interesting. And, and Max did a, a perfect job with a two-stop strategy that gave him the possibility to push in the last part of the race and overtake uh, Lewis. Yeah, definitely. So, again, with these new technical regulations and technical directives coming in, whether they're from you or the FIA, I believe I'm right in understanding that teams have to leave their tyres in the blankets until just before they leave the pit lane. So when the teams kind of half-fold their blanket and put them on top of the tyre, is that their way of kind of finding a sneaky loophole and keeping them in the blankets without leaving the pit lane? And are you happy with them doing that? No, no, no. It's not a, a sneaky way to do that. It's just... Uh, that they are ready to send the car out of the garage and it's not uh, a period of few seconds that is changing the situation. We were talking about uh, uh, removing the blankets uh, some minutes before uh, uh, putting the, 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 the car on track and so on. It's a, it's a completely different uh, situation. Uh, the one you mentioned is just the mechanics are ready to, to send the car out. So as long as it's a short period of time, you're, you're happy with it? 
But in the technical directive, if I'm not wrong, it's also defined that this period shouldn't be more than 30 seconds. So it's, uh, it's also regulated. Anyway. Um, so you've mentioned this already a little bit, but um, Ferrari seem to have been struggling with the new pressure regulations and the condition of their tyres today, along with Mercedes just about holding on at the end with their tyres for the one-stop strategy. Do you have anything else you'd like to add on this? Obviously, Ferrari will make their own investigation, and I'm sure they will find the, the reason why uh, the race pace was not uh, in line with the expectations. But uh, uh, don't forget that uh, the tire pressure was raised on the rear tire, not on the front tire, while today the limitation was on the front. So I believe that uh, uh, it was not the tire pressure that made a difference. So with these changes coming in, you probably didn't see these coming at the start of 2021 when the season started. Do you plan on making any more or is it a case of seeing if stuff needs to be done? At the moment with a new technical directive, we need a bit of time to understand if uh, this new procedure is working, is working well or any fine tuning is needed. As usual, when you have a new, uh, new regulation, a new procedure, you have to check and, uh, and obviously also the teams are contributing with their suggestion in order to uh, give their feedback on, uh, on the new technical directive. And we are happy to work with the teams and to get their suggestion. So I, I don't know if it is necessary to, to think at uh, any other action. We need a bit of time now to, to check how the technical directive is working. And I'm sure the FIA will work around that. So you'd say it's very much led by the teams rather than led by you in terms of any changes? But, you know, we, we can support uh, the investigation, but as I said at the beginning, it's the FIA that is in charge of uh, defining the rules uh, and implementing the rules. So it's not really our job. As a tire expert, we are consulted and we are happy to give uh, any support because obviously we work together. But uh, not, uh, we are not here to enforce anything. It's not our job. Um, so I guess based on today's new rules that you have put in place and the results from the Grand Prix, what are your expectations for the double header going into Austria? It will be interesting because I didn't check the weather forecast, uh, but we know that in this period it can be very hot in Austria. Mm. And uh, we have two races with two different selections. We decided together with teams and the FIA and FOM to nominate C2, 3 and 4 for the first event and C3, 4 and 5, so one step softer for the second event. Obviously, they will uh, come to the second event with uh, information on C3 and C4 because they use the same compounds in the first weekend, but no information on the C5. The C5 is, in Austria is a quite an aggressive choice. So okay. if uh, maybe on the first weekend uh, it is possible to have uh, a one-stop race or majority on a one-stop, uh, it is also possible that at the second race we have, uh, with a more aggressive uh, selection, we have also um, more cars uh, that are in uh, with the, the, the plan to have a two-stop strategy. But obviously they need to collect data first uh, and to understand what is going to happen. And I, I said it, it can be very hot, but it, is, it can be rainy, it can be cold, it can be anything in Austria in this period. So I'm not 100% sure that uh, it will be very hot. How much easier do you think 
all of this process of testing, ensuring all the schemes are sticking to the rules, will be in 2022 when this advanced technology is here. But we have uh, we have uh, some uh, news in 2022 with a number of parts that are standard parts, uh, not only about tires, ribs, uh, sensors. Uh, there are many other. So probably having more standard parts, it will be also a bit easier for the FIA to police uh, the, the, the implementation of the regulation. But uh, talking about the tires, uh, obviously the standard sensor will help us to, to give uh, a prescription on the running pressure rather than just the starting pressure. So we can better control the running conditions. But at the end of the day, they are the important uh, uh, the important uh, parameters. No? Uh, we can, we, at the moment, we police the starting parameters because we don't have any other choice. But in an ideal world, I would like to police the running condition, not the starting. So moving into new tracks as well, which you moved through the year that you've never been to before, we quizzed you a bit on this when you came on our podcast, but I'm going to quiz you even more now. With things like Jeddah, how do you tell what tyres you want on the cars without seeing them run on the surface? Uh, that, that, that is a, a situation that is not new to us because in the past we had several new trucks uh, like um, where we went for we went to Mexico for the first time we went to Austin for the first time with several trucks where we went for the first time in our Formula One experience and the system is uh, let's say always the same that means now that the layout of the circuit is available, teams are sim making some simulations on uh, simulating a qualifying lap and simulating a race lap. We get the simulations and uh, we try also to get some information on the type of, of asphalt that is in Jeddah, the roughness especially, to understand the level of grip. And with these parameters, we make an assumption on uh, which are the three compounds that we should select. Uh, I can tell you that uh, as a general uh, approach, it's difficult that uh, when we, we go for the first time on a track, we go with the softest choice, like C3, C4, C5, because we don't have enough elements uh, to, to choose, uh, unless it's not, a, I don't know, a street circuit that is very low severity with a smooth tarmac, in that case, is clearly the softer choice. Otherwise, we try to be a bit more conservative for the first time, and then we see if there is any room to go more aggressive for the second year. That, that was going to be my next question. I was going to say, <laughs> does it being a street circuit make it easier to decide? Because often it is softer compounds used as street circuits. Yeah, but it depends on the, on the street circuit, because if we talk about Baku, that is on the paper a street circuit, you have a 2.2-kilometer straight, and it is not uh, proper characteristics of uh, a strict circuit. So we have to consider not only the fact that it is not a permanent circuit, but also the characteristics of the layout. So Dan, that's the second time you've spoken to uh, Mario this week. What, what are your sort of thoughts on, on, on what's happening at Pirelli and uh, the, the things he had to say today? I think Pirelli have got it pretty well covered to be fair to them they seem to be that they seem to be working very closely with the fia um and all the technical delegations coming from the fia in accordance with pirelli so i don't think there's any problems that side 
as I said earlier, they concluded they weren't at fault for the Baku incidents and they've concluded the teams weren't at fault, which does seem a bit dodgy, but they seem to have taken all the steps that they can take to make sure that doesn't happen again. So they seem to have worked pretty hard in the two weeks between Baku and Paul Ricard. Um, so yeah, I'll give Pirelli, Pirelli some credit where it's due. Um Mario Zola is clearly a Max Verstappen fan based on the fact that he said Max had a perfect race today, uh, I quote. So before we talk about the teams and the drivers, let's just talk about the beginning. Um, the race start was, was, was pretty spicy. We had uh, both Verstappen and Hamilton equally good getaway off the line, but it all went a little bit wrong, didn't it, Cal, for uh, Max Verstappen at the beginning? He went into turn one, got round turn one okay, but then turn two, he just lost the rear completely luckily he avoided some bollards because that could have just ended his race completely um managed to come back out of turn two after a little detour in second which all things considered was quite good really um but yeah he, he absolutely shafted himself there there's no one else to blame um although there was a tailwind it didn't happen to anyone else so you can't really blame it on that so yeah um shame really yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Kelly. He was he was uh, uh, bloody lucky to come back out in second position, uh, but course. it did did make Sir uh, take the lead, didn't it? Yes, it did. It did make Lewis Hamilton take the lead. Um, yeah, but this was just the start of the race, uh, as we know. Everything changed. Um, let's just talk about. Um, the back of the pack, and let's go through them. So Nikita Mazepin finished in last. Um, Anyone surprised? He didn't um, spin. Well, yeah, he finished the race, which is, you know, good for him. Um, he didn't crash. I don't think he caused any other crashes or any incidents. So, you know, that's a big improvement for him. And I genuinely mean that without being, you know, derogatory towards him because it's obviously his awareness and things like that is becoming what it should be now, hopefully. So... Hopefully he's actually becoming the driver. He finished the last, okay? I'm trying to make good as shit here, Ollie. And actually, I think he was a little unfair to Schumacher at one point, if I remember correctly. Can't tell you when. I just seem to recall a replay of him him, um, pushing Schumacher a little out wider than he needed to. Um, Talking of Schumacher, he finished in 19th today. So really, this is just the story of Hass's season, isn't it? Um, I've got... I've got very little to say on the two. I mean, did you did you expect any different, really? Because, you know, they've not developed the car. They've said they're not going to develop the car until next season. It's just how it is. Yep, they weren't joking. Um, so finishing in 17th today, we had uh, Kimi Raikkonen with Charles Leclerc finishing just ahead of him in 16th. That's an awful result for Ferrari, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that that, that is woeful. Considering Leclerc, stopped, was it 7th? Leclerc started? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how he's ended up in 16th behind Alfa Romeo, Alpine, a Williams, the other Ferrari, God knows. Uh, He's had a shocker, clearly. Okay, so uh, we had Giovinazzi in 15th. Again, not not great. It's uh, better than Leclerc, but... uh... Um, it was Ocon who finished in 14th. Now, this was the day that he's, well, the weekend that he's signed for another three years. Um, that's not a good result, especially when your teammate Alonso is finishing in eighth. 
Uh, no, you're right, completely. And he started in 11th, Ocondead. So he's dropped places, he's, he's dropped three places. The Alpine clearly had some sort of pace for Alonso to stay in 8th. So, yeah, I can't, I can't really defend the guy. I think he's, he's obviously just had an off weekend. But for the past three or four weekends, he's not really done anything of any significance, to be honest. He's, uh, he's been a bit quiet and a bit slow. It's a bit like you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it was um, the one that impressed me out of uh, the, the you know the people who finished quite far down was uh, Sonoda finishing in thirteenth. That's not bad, was it? He clearly had no damage. Can I just say the first race we were hyping Sonoda as the best rookie in years, getting the, in the points, and now we're going. Yeah, P13. What a race by Sonoda. That's not a good race. He's in an Alpha Tauri. His teammate finished 7th. He's down in 13th. I don't... Th- you can't call that a good race. He started from the pit lane and finished 13th. I don't think that's a bad race. I think that's a, a steady race. Didn't you? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it's a good race. Yeah. Lance Stroll finished 10th and he started last. So the difference between the two of them is Aston Martin and he's got three years of four years of F1 experience is an Aston Martin that much quicker than an Alfa Fatari though Um, I I would say they're nearly close together yeah yeah experience that's the difference maybe maybe the last of the cars to get lapped um, was George Russell finishing in 12th Um, Rowie where did that come from I've, I've got to be honest I didn't see much on track action from him then I don't know where that came from because he qualified in 14th. He then dropped really far back in the early stages and then he came 12th. So I'm not really sure what happened in Russell's race. I'd love to see his best onboard moments because he obviously did a fair bit of dropping back and then a fair bit of overtaking. But yeah, if they play in 12th, you know, Williams isn't that bad. Yeah, I think they just got the strategy right today, didn't they? They, they, they did everything they needed to do to keep him out of trouble, to keep his tyres good and have the overall pace quite good because he's he's thinking where did he start what George uh, George Russell started in 14th right okay so yeah you know for a Williams to gain two places especially when at the start of the race I must add he stopped he dropped right down I think the Hasses were even in front of him at one point so he's done well to get back up to 12 and we had the and we had the other uh, Ferrari of Carlos Sainz finishing in 11th, just outside of the points. That's the first race this year that Ferrari have not scored any points. Now, that is really damaging um, for their battle for third against McLaren Mercedes, isn't it? It's really surprising is what it is. They've got a really good driver lineup. You know, they qualified 7th and 5th. What the hell happened? We didn't really see that much of Ferrari in the race either. Cal, do you have anything to add on Ferrari? I think... I do I do think it's a tyre issue. I think the car's not handling the tyres too well. Um, as we've seen in other races, they have really good qualifying pace and then they, they drop off on race pace. And I can only assume it's because they're looking after tyres, otherwise they'd have no tyres. Um, and I think that it was the same today. Degradation was a little higher today because the temperatures weren't what Pirelli expected. So the, the temperatures were a little... I think... Uh, it was 25 degrees, but they expected more 30 to 35. So that, that's quite a big window of difference. Um, you can understand why the tyres weren't performing 
how they probably should have done. So yeah, I think I think that's what's causing Ferrari their issues. Uh, in front of that Ferrari of Carlos Sainz, we had the two Astons both scoring points, uh, three points in total. Um, it was Stroll with Vettel finishing in front. Um, and we can't forget Vettel, last race, finished in second. So this wasn't quite the, um, the performance that we had seen previously. However, it was still a good result for the Aston Martin boys, don't you think, Dan? I do think Vettel's second was a bit of a one-off, to be fair. I'm not sure that we'll see that again. Something in Baku just clicked for him. Um, And we've bashed Lance Stroll a lot on this podcast, nearly as much as we, well, say we, you, bash Valtteri Bottas. But he has really upped his game this year. To go from second last to tenth, he's obviously, I think they had a very good strategy. They boxed quite late and it worked out quite well for them. But he has improved his racecraft a lot over the summer break. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I was a massive, not hater of Lance Stroll, I think that's the wrong word, but I was an anti-fan. Um, I don't think he, he deserved to be in the sport. I don't think he should have been in the sport at all, to be honest with you. But uh, towards the end of last season, he shut me up completely, especially with his performance in Turkey. And then the start of this season, he, he's done really well. He's not put a foot wrong, really. Um, and he really is helping, genuinely helping propel Aston Martin to where they need to be, which is good to see. It's not just Vettel coming in and doing all the work and Stroll having an easy ride. Stroll is actually getting results. Stroll is actually helping the team. So that they've actually got a really solid lineup now, but I, I really didn't think they would have done at the start of the season. So credit to Lance Stroll. Starting 19th on the grid and finishing 10th is a really good result. Stroll only has... 10 championship points but I'm not really sure that's reflective of his racing so far this year and Vettel's on 30 but I feel they've, they're closer matched than what it says on paper I feel yeah that's obviously purely because of the uh, one-off shall we say last weekend uh, Matt isn't here to defend that but um, let's be honest it was a bit of a, a Monza 2020 um, where just it all got shaken up Cal? I just want to add as well, I think Vettel has finally found his feet in that Aston Martin because today, I think he went the furthest of anybody on the first stint. Um, he had a really good first stint. Anyway, if he didn't, correct me if I'm wrong, but he managed those tyres so well. And I think it was like in the lap, in the 30s of the laps and he was still setting personal bests. He was still going faster and faster and faster. So that just shows you that his experience is now kicking in. He's what he's at one with the car, and he's making stuff happen. So I wouldn't be surprised if after the summer break, Aston Martin actually come a little bit better. Maybe they can bring a few upgrades and actually, you know, start competing a little bit more. Maybe for you know, maybe fifth and sixth, maybe start competing with McLaren and Ferrari a little bit. Mm. You're, you're right, Vettel, um, he, he, uh, his first pit stop, first and only, was lap 37. So, yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a first stint. Um, I think Leclerc had changed both tyres, well, it stopped twice by uh, lap 38. So that was, um, that was pretty impressive. Uh, he certainly found something that the others didn't. Next say. up, we have Fernando Alonso, who qualified in ninth and finished in eighth. So not a bad day for the Spaniard. That's not too bad at all for Alonso. He took a little while to get going in the Alpine, but he's definitely found his feet. He spent a lot of time this weekend swapping helmets. He's got one of Mazepin's and one of Alain Prost's now to go in his 
museum of helmets and F1 stuff that he has back where he's from. But um, yeah, solid weekend. Yeah, about this helmet swapping thing, right? I can understand wanting uh, the professor's helmet, <laughs> right? But what, what, why, does, why does he want Mazepin's helmet, Cal? I think Mazepin's dad paid Alonso to do that. <laughs> Being the billionaire dad, just sort of said, right, my son really likes you, he wants your helmet, but we need you to swap it on camera to make it look like he's not stolen it from you. So here's a wad of cash, just do it in front of the cameras, make it look all nice. And shake hands with him as well. You know, make it look really good and professional. Did you see I the meme? What's happened? Did you see the meme I sent you? Um, of uh, there's the picture of them two swapping helmets and shaking hands and looking friendly. Then there's a picture of Alonso putting the helmet in the wheelie bin. <laughs> yeah, I have. I have seen that. No, Alonso's got. I don't know if it's a museum or just like a big place of collectibles, but he's got loads of F1 helmets in there, and I think he just wants as many as possible, and that's just another one for the collection. Another another theory I've actually just thought of, if he's got a museum and a collection of helmets and memorabilia of his own, maybe he thinks that Mazepin actually has a bit of potential and is, you know, will make it one day into a, a decent driver and maybe he wants to have that as saying, well, this was his first season in Formula 1, this is quite a collectible. There's one other person yeah, that thinks humor, that Mazepin's... Your humour is so dry today, Cam, honestly. <laughs> There's one other person that thinks Mazepin's going to be a world champion and that's William's story. So... Yeah. <laughs> Um, Alonso does have, by the way, uh, in his contract, he's got every car that he's ever raced. It's into every single F1 contract that he has. So he does have a museum of all his Formula One cars, which I think Lewis Hamilton's now trying to do as well, but still a little late. Um, so Alonso's got more. Pretty impressive. Um, the Alpha Tauri of Pierre Gasly, um, who's starting to look like a bit a bit gangster, isn't he? Have you noticed with his hat back and his Ray-Bans on recently and his baggy suit? Have you noticed that? Um, he finished in seventh today. Um, back one from... He, he qualified sixth, didn't he? So he, he lost one place, but not a bad result, really, is it? When you look at who finished ahead of him, no, it's not a bad result at all. But I think the, 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 the star of France... Um, must have been the McLaren boys today. Uh, we had Norris and uh, Ricardo finishing just behind Norris. So uh, Lando fifth again, uh, and Daniel Ricardo in sixth. They were exciting to watch today. They were just non-stop overtaking. Both Lando and Daniel had a really good race today. Lando looked like he was on a bit of a dodgy strategy. I think Ted Kravitz even said that as well at some point. Um, he pitted. He went long. He went. He pitted. And he came out in like fifteenth. Finished fifth. I don't know how it happened, but he finished fifth. Um, Ricardo had a solid race as well. I think he's finally clicking with that car. We saw a few of the Daniel Ricardo-esque late breakings today. Um, and it looked like he had a lot of flow with the car as well. It didn't look like it was squirreling about or anything like that. It looked like the car was really controlled with Daniel today. So that's great to see. Um, in a track like Austria, I think McLaren are going to go really well. And I think Daniel could be potentially on the podium next week. Fingers crossed. Nice tribute to Mencio OJ as well on the McLaren cars and on the McLaren team kit all week. He was obviously a big part of McLaren and they've wanted that in the best way that I feel they possibly could. Absolutely. And that performance from McLaren today has pulled them 16 points ahead of Ferrari now in the Constructors' Championship. So that is 
a big blow to Ferrari. Yeah. That is a big blow because momentum was just beginning to swing in Ferrari's favour and now McLaren have gone, right, none of that. We'll have all that momentum back. Thank you very much. So, yeah, well, fair play to McLaren. And then we move in to the top four who basically just had a race of their own. It was um, it's a bit like watching the, the endurance racing where you have LMP1 and LMP2. Um with Perez sort of in the middle um, at times. So um, it was Valtteri Bottas who qualified in third and he finished in fourth. Um, it wasn't the greatest of days for Valtteri Bottas. Uh, for me, he didn't really... He had a solid race, but he didn't show anything spectacular, did he? I just want to, I want to point out, I'm not the biggest fan of Bottas, but I feel like I am fair when I talk about drivers. Bottas had... I think the start was okay. The start was okay. He kept up with the pack. But then after the round of pit stops, he was on Verstappen. He was on Hamilton. They were racing as a three for a very, very long time. Bottas was keeping up in his own right. He did really, really well. He had a good race, but then he was on the radio saying, double stop. This is going to have to be a double stop. And then I'll let Dan explain what happened next. But I do think Bottas and Hamilton both had a good day in the Mercedes today before Dan speaks and shafts Mercedes management team. Yeah, I mean, Bottas's finish, he's one of the calmest people that, you know, and I'm just going to play Battery's radio audio because I've never seen him this, or heard him this shouty. And I thought it was quite interesting, actually, to hear his very open criticism of Mercedes. Why the fuck no one listened to me when I said it's going to be a two-stopper? Fucking hell. Do you know that's so much better without the bleeping? <laughs> he's, he's just so angry. Even last week in Baku, when they sent him out without a toe, he came out and he went, right? Without a toe, need sorry. a toe. I, mean, I missed that. What, what, did he have nine toes? No. Oh, that is the worst joke I've ever heard in my life. They sent him out without a toe? How much wine have you consumed tonight? That is terrible. Zero. Well, that's probably... to, 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 on a serious note, how does a driver function with only nine toes? Because surely the, the ten <laughs> toes help put the pressure on the brake and the accelerator equally. So I'm guessing. Why are we talking about this? Yeah, yeah, so, maybe so this explains. Yeah. Maybe this explains why he's so shit. Nine toes, Bottas. I, I, th- I think we've sold the issue, Dan. He's got nine toes. Right, so, thank you. So in Azerbaijan, he didn't. He, he was missing a toe, according to you. Dan. In Azerbaijan, he was missing a toe, T-O-W, and he came out of the pits and went, okay, kind of needs a toe now. And this week, he's like, what the blah, blah, blah. And I've never seen him this angry. It's ridiculous. He was. He had every right to be angry. It was a ridiculous strategy from Mercedes today. It was James Vowles' birthday. That does not mean I'm going to go any lighter on him than I would have done. Happy birthday, James. <laughs> he's normally excellent. Yeah, we always, I hope you had a good, good day, James. Yeah, we always wax lyrical about Mercedes' strategy. But honestly, today, it was shocking. It really was. It was a reverse Spain. I now know how Max Verstappen fans felt in Spain. But Red Bull had... Uh, sorry, Valtteri Bottas had a perfect race. If he had double-stopped, I think he would have fought for the win. He would have definitely got P2. Mercedes absolutely wrecked Bottas today. And I'm sure I'll think of more points as we're talking. But it it is ridiculous. I find it really interesting that you're so set on that, Dan. Because Hamilton wasn't unhappy with the strategy. He said they probably stopped the one. 
Um, he, he wasn't. He was happy with his second place. And Toto wasn't that. No, 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 no. Boy. There's no way Hamilton was happy with the second place when he had led the race. I do feel they were both shafted completely by the strategy today. I think Mercedes bottled it when it came to pitting them. As soon as they saw Red Bull go in, I think, Ollie, you were even saying this in the live race chat that we have, that Mercedes should pit as soon as Red Bull do. If not, first. Pit first. Um, and I think because they bottled it, they like Dan said, they did exactly what Red Bull did in Barcelona, which is a shame because it could have been a better race for it. At the point when Red Bull pitted as well, Perez wasn't really in the fight. Um, and we saw from earlier in the race how powerful the undercut was at Paul Ricard. I don't get why they didn't pit Bottas and just try something different. You know, Valtteri said around lap 20, as he referred to in that radio message, he was like, right, these tyres aren't lasting, let's do a two-stop. And they just completely ignored him. And that was just wrong from Mercedes. They need to learn to listen to the drivers. Or driver. They listen to Lewis. <laughs> yeah. um, but talking about Bottas, there was also a lot of talk of why didn't they pit him once Perez overtook for the fastest lap? No, as much as it seems something that Mercedes would do to try and bite back at Bottas, it wasn't that. It was because Perez was under investigation for leaving the track and not coming on at the right place. They wanted to remain within the five-second window of him in case Perez got a five-second penalty. And then Bottas didn't even remain within the five-second window of him because he had literally no tyres, so he may as well have boxed with the fastest lap. But to be honest, given how Bottas' pit stops have gone this season, I'm quite glad he didn't. I wouldn't have been able to cope. Yeah, so um, Perez had four wheels off the track when he overtook uh, Bottas, which I didn't see that on TV. I'm pretty sure they didn't replay it either. They didn't make a big deal out of it. Um, but going back and looking, that's why they were under investigation. It just wasn't um, one of the corners where they penalised for that. Which is really interesting because as you you're the first to say this, Ollie. If four wheels are off the track, that is out of the racetrack. It should not count. I do not understand why the FAA haven't looked at that. As a, as a Red Bull fan, I'm going to say this as well. I think I agree with you and Ollie. If there are four wheels off the track, it, it's not a legal overtake. Wherever the white line is that they're going to. If they're over it with all four wheels, it, it's an illegal overtake. That's that. I wouldn't care if it was Verstappen, Hamilton, whoever on the grid doing it. It should be penalised anywhere on the circuit, that is, as well. They shouldn't be picking any corner they feel like at every Grand Prix and saying, well, actually, that corner's fine. You can do it there. But the other one, back there, no, no, that's not fine. They need to do it all over the circuit, every weekend at every circuit. So there's a lot of talk that Bottas should have held Verstappen off for a lot longer than he did and that he was defending fresh air. Um, even even Rosberg said this, and I'm not Rosberg's biggest fan, but I agree with him. Um, Cal, did you think Bottas let Verstappen through too easily? I think that was the only point in the race where I thought Bottas let himself down. Um, clearly, he was just watching his mirrors and not the road because he outbreaks himself into that corner on tyres that were too old. Verstappen was going to get past him at some point anyway, but he could have delayed that. Even by half a second, even by a second, Lewis may have gotten a lot further out and he could have made it a lot more difficult. It may have come across more traffic. You never know what could have happened. That is where Bottas let himself down and the team down, unfortunately. And um, what do you think? 
I, I can't agree with what Callum's saying. I really can't. It's like if I was in a 100-meter race against Usain Bolt when I had a 50-meter advantage, I'm still going to lose. <laughs> it's just delaying the inevitable. What are you talking no, about? Well, this I'm is just running, and we've all got 10 toes. There. I'm just going to stop you there. <laughs> right. Bottas was looking in his mirrors at Verstappen. Would you be running backwards looking for Usain Bolt? Well, yeah, if I not okay, well, so that was a bad, oh, bad, exam- bad example. Bad yeah. example. Bad yeah. example. Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> uh, no, I cannot see how that is Bottas's fault at all. His tyres were so much older than Verstappen's. He he was fighting a losing battle. Verstappen was going to get Hamilton regardless. Yet maybe Bottas could have defended him for one more corner. But then at that point he was still fighting for a podium. He's not going. He's not going to want to use up all the remaining tires that he has fighting for this spot that he knows he's going to lose. He has to think about himself a bit. You can't only think about Hamilton. So I think yes, he could have defended a bit harder. He didn't need to defend a bit harder. He was going to overtake him anyway. And as it all happens, it didn't really matter because he came fourth due to a completely rubbish strategy. But we move. Do you, do you, so you basically just agreed with everything I said anyway. But do you not agree with the fact that if he'd have just held him up in that corner, defended how he should have defended, not outbreaking himself and going into the corner by looking into his mirrors too long, if he'd have defended that corner properly, which he could have done on those tyres, because he did it fine against Perez four or five laps later. So there's no excuse there. If he'd have done that, he would have helped the team because Hamilton may or may not have stayed in front of Verstappen. Do you well, not agree with that? Benefit of hindsight, do you, do you, uh, Yes or no, do you not agree with that? You can't just say yes or no, I need to explain I that. can. Yes or no, do you not agree I with that? I think you asked Crofty a question, yes or no, and he said, no, yes. I need to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just say yes or no. But Do, you do I agree with I'm that? Saying? No. There you go. Do you understand what I'm saying, though, where if he couldn't defend against Verstappen but could have against Perez later on in the race, why couldn't he against Verstappen? It's because he made a mistake. No, he physically... No, no, no. He made a mistake. He physically could have against Verstappen, but it was inevitable that Verstappen was passing him. So there was no point. He needed... His fight now was against Perez for the podium. So you agree he made a mistake? I don't think he made a mistake. He did. He went off the track. He clearly did. He went off the track. That's a mistake. He didn't do it on purpose, did he? That's a mistake. You can admit he made a mistake. You're not letting him down. No, to be fair... (laughs) I don't think he made a mistake. He, he just... Oh, never He did. He, didn't he, Ollie? He made a mistake. Dan won't admit it because he's too fanboy, but he did, he made a mistake. I, I, I would, one would say, and uh, one would normally agree, that if a race driver goes off the track, they've made He didn't go off the track. He went a little bit deep. He did not go off the track. He didn't plan to lock up and go wide. Because he Ooh, no, Hamilton didn't plan to lose the race. Let's just move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. For the listeners, I'm not sure how much of what we've just said you've heard in the edit, but Dan is now very unhappy. Um, no, no, so- no. I, I'm perfectly happy. Don't you worry. Bottas is going to win in Austria. I'm great. Oh, God, here we go. Um, it was Perez who uh, finished in the uh, position of third after overtaking Bottas. Um, what did you make of that one, Dan? Well, he earned that position fair and square. He had an excellent drive today. He did luck into it because of a bad Mercedes strategy. But, you know, that's all F1's all about that. If your rival messes up, you need to be there to make the most of that. And he was fair play to him. He had a very solid drive doing exactly what Red Bull need him to do to win the Constructors' Championship. 
Yes, and it's his uh, second podium in a row. Um, obviously, he won the last race out. He finished in third this time. And um, Perez is being that consistent number two driver that Red Bull have always needed. Um, and he, he proved that today. He was absolutely the wingman of Max Verstappen. Last week, he was exactly the wingman of Max Verstappen. I mean, uh, Cal, the Red Bull fan here, um, you've got what you've always wanted. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy. Um, initially, at the start of the race... I thought that there was something wrong because he was he was quite a way off actually. Um, then it came to the round of pit stops. Perez stayed out. He's actually leading the race for quite a while, um, and then he pitted himself later on. Managed to actually catch up with the pack, um, even though he was about a pit stop with so twenty odd seconds behind. Uh, he managed to actually catch up, do the job he needed to do, whilst remaining focused, whilst remaining on track. He just did everything Red Bull needed to do. To, needed him do, to do today Christ I'm mumbling now he was brilliant yeah he was solid solid is the word to describe Checo today solid race yeah and he's turning into a solid driver I mean <clears throat> the, 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 the the discussion is now beginning of obviously Perez runs out of contract at the end of this year are they going to are they going to keep him um, he's only ever been there just to sort of cover the space but he's one year deal he's performing he's doing what Red Bull need why get rid of him I think I would like to see another year given to him, but only a year. Um, because he is getting on a little bit. He's coming towards the end of his career. I'm pretty sure he's a similar age to Hamilton, isn't he? If not, just a couple of years younger. Um, he's 31, yeah. Oh, no, God, he's five years younger than nowhere near. Anywho, um, no, he's he's getting to that age where they'll have to start thinking about when is he going to start slowing down? Because not every single driver makes it to where Raikkonen has or Vettel or Hamilton. Perez might not do it. So they need to consider that. Also, they need to consider the youth coming through. The reason Verstappen is where he is today is because he's had four or five seasons in the car getting experience. The reason they couldn't give that to Albon or Gasly is purely because Verstappen was getting that experience and winning. They needed a backup man to make sure they got the points in the constructors until they can prove that they can do that themselves, Perez will keep the seat. I can't see Perez going anywhere heading into next year. Red Bull would be stupid to get rid of him. As long as Perez is in a Red Bull, he will only have one-year contracts. Bottas has been in exactly the same situation his whole Mercedes career. He's only ever had one-year contracts. But I've said this so many times relating to so many different things. Heading into the new regulations, you need that feedback stability that being in the car for a year gives you so much more than being a rookie. And especially given the way he's performing, Red Bull are favourites for the constructors at the moment. They're just It would be such a bad decision to get rid of him. I don't even think Helmut Marko would make it, and that's saying something. Yeah, I've got to agree. I, I, I can't see Perez going next year. Um, unless something dramatic happens, and this is the sport of Formula 1, and things dramatic tend to happen. Uh, finishing in second, we had Sir Lewis Hamilton. I will say... As a fanboy, but as a as a spectator of the sport, he did pretty well today, considering, right, Cal? Yeah, absolutely. He, he was fantastic from start to finish. He did everything in his power to win that race. He didn't, but he did everything within his power to win that race with the tools he had. The team didn't want to pit him again. That's not his fault. He can't just come in and expect a pit stop. He needs to listen to the team orders. To make the tyres last as long as he did, going as quickly as he did, just showed his experience, showed his nous. Um, all right, Verstappen passed him pretty quickly when it 
came to it near the end, but Hamilton knew it was coming. He was constantly asking on the team radio how far behind is he. He'd already worked it out himself that that was the inevitable. Second place was the best he could have done today. You can't argue with that. He did a, He had a brilliant drive. Hamilton will be disappointed with second today. He's Lewis Hamilton. If he's not first, he'll be disappointed. Well, if he's not first plus fastest lap, he'll be disappointed because he's Lewis Hamilton. He did, as Callum said, everything in his power that he could today. He was just as botched by the Mercedes strategy as Valtteri Bottas. You can't blame him for that. If, I, if I'm saying it's not Bottas's, Bottas's fault, I'm not saying it's Hamilton's fault. By any means, they're in the same situation. But um, yeah, it just means that he's fallen a bit further behind in the championship. I think, yeah, Lewis did really well, especially on those tyres. How he manages tyres is just magic. I think it was like lap 40, or maybe even earlier than that, where powered by AWS came up and it said he had 10% left on his rears. Um, now, I don't know how AWS, well, I do actually, they get all their data from all the different sensors and then uh, use some algorithms to work it out. But you shouldn't go another however many laps he did with 10% left on your tyres. Count. I, I always take this AWS stuff with a pinch of salt. I don't think it's entirely accurate. Um, I think it's a rough guideline, but to say he has 10% left on his tyres with more than 10% of the race left to go, that, you know, it, and he, he did it, so it's not physically possible, is it? So I, I don't believe that the AWS graphics are as accurate as everyone thinks they are. They need to take them with a little bit of a pinch of salt. I never agree with Callum, but I've just agreed with him twice in a row here. The AWS graphics... The AWS graphics you cannot use for any reliable sensitive data. They literally look at all the data and then go, right, on paper, this is what his tyres left. If, trying to think of an example, Schumacher had 10% tyres left and Perez had 10% tyres left, Perez's tyres are better than Schumacher's. It doesn't take anything into account that other was, than do you mean Mick purely on paper. Well, yeah, Mick, obviously. Not right, not, okay. not Michael or Ralph. No, I was going to say, when you say the word Schumacher, yeah, Michael comes to mind. Well, there's only uh, one Schumacher in F1. <laughs> but you threw me and Cal. No, there's, there's three. <laughs> one now. So what you're there saying is if, is if you had Gasly at 10% and you had Hamilton at 10%, they're going to be different, right? Yeah. Gotcha. Hamilton will make them last longer because he's a wizard. Yeah, he's a tyre wizard, and that's fair enough. You know, he, he deserves that. He's been in the sport for however long he's been in it. He's an old man now. He's going to have that experience, isn't he? Indeed. Um, and finishing in first place, I've got to say, it, it, uh, it was a heck of a drive, really. Um, he had to make up an entire pit stop to catch up with Hamilton, to catch up with, with all of them to take the win. Um, he started on pole, finished in first, but it wasn't an easy journey for Max Verstappen today, was it? Absolutely not. It, he he really had to show what he's worth today, and I think he did do that. I mean, he got pole position yesterday. He made a mistake on the first corner. We've seen Hamilton do it, we've seen Bottas do it, we've seen Vettel do it over the years. Everyone does it. But the way he recovered, the way he kept his head, the way he chased everyone down the way he listened to the Red Bull strategy. He didn't argue with it. He just listened to it, trusted his team. That is part of a world championship. Listening and trusting your team. You can't do it on your own in the car. You need to trust your team. To me, watching them, watching him today over this weekend and the last few weeks, he is the world champion this year. He looks like the world champion, the way he's driving. He, he has been phenomenal so far. And God, as a fan... 
you know, it's coming home. It's coming home. I um, yeah, I, I think I think. Do you know what? I'm a I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. It's either the eighth title for him this year, or it's the first for Max. Either one, I'm going to be equally as happy with. It's been a fantastic showdown between them. Um, uh, Dan, you're pulling off a strange face. So I'm just curious why. Well, no, it's just I surely you'd rather Lewis win it than Max win it. I would, but I'd be happy with the second option. <laughs> I think Max has deserved I mean, yeah. it for many years. I'm just here enjoying the fight. You know, I've, it's unlikely Bottas is going to get it. So while I hold on to that hope and do every year and will every year, I can just sit back and enjoy this fight. Verstappen had a brilliant race today. He had the race of a world champion in terms of what he did. He could have quite easily lost the car at the first corner as well and done a complete 360 and been P20. He didn't. He somehow avoided the bollards. I don't know how he did that either. An enormous amount of credit has to go to him today. Yeah, I think what I will say as well as a Verstappen fan is that if Lewis Hamilton does come back and win it, he will have deserved it because Max is on full. Max is at his peak. He's doing the best he can do. The car's the best it can be. He's against Lewis Hamilton, a seven-time world champion. If he doesn't do it this year, he'll never do it. That's the way I see it. And I think if Hamilton beats him, Hamilton will have to be at his very best to beat Verstappen. And that's this is the year that makes Verstappen go down in history if he wins. And this is the first year where we've actually had a title battle in many years, right? Where, um, no offense to Bottas, but he's always been there or thereabouts, but you always knew at the end of the day who was going to take it. Um, this year, we don't know. I don't know. No one knows. We've asked the experts, we've asked people who work in Formula One, they don't know. It's not a predictable scenario this year. I, I think, sorry, I think that. Me and Ollie are in for an arse twitchy rest of the season, to be honest. It is absolutely horrible. I don't know about you, Ollie, but I was absolutely shredded to bits. My nose was shot today uh, watching that, and it's horrible. Uh, Dan? I've remembered what I was going to say now. <laughs> um, the fact that they're in two different teams makes it even better as well, because if they're in the same team, you're constantly going to be on the edge of your seat, like, oh, they're not going to be made to crash, team orders, blah, 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 blah. You're not going to get that if they're in two separate teams. And Toto and Christian aren't exactly best friends either. So it really is, everything is on the line for this title fight, and whoever loses will be fuming. And I'm all here for it. Every race, two of them, first corner, will they crash, will they not? Pole doesn't necessarily mean going into the first corner in the lead. It's brilliant. And I think as well, you just made me think, Dan, you know, like you just said, Christian and Toto aren't the best of friends. Imagine how good Drive to Survive is going to be next season, for, for this season. The behind the scenes stuff, the conversations. Uh, oh my God. It, it's going to be the best season yet, isn't it? Because we've got, full access. Crofty said the other day that there's more camera crews than we've ever seen before. I think we're going to get maybe even a longer season this year. It could be epic. Hopefully. It's been epic so far. We're on race seven out of what was 23. I think it's 22 at the moment. But it's, yeah, I want it to slow down, but I want it to speed up at the same time. Like, it's just, it's just absolutely fantastic. Um, Let's do our drivers of the day and our race ratings. Um, Dan, I'm going to start with you. Well, I would have given it to Bottas if he'd finished where he finished because of the redemption comeback, but I can't, so I'm giving it to Verstappen. Because he made mistakes. 
so I'm giving it to Verstappen for my driver of the day. He drove an amazing race. And considering it's France, I'm giving that an 8 out of 10. We expected nothing and we got a lot. Yeah, okay. Uh, Cal, what, 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 who is your driver of the day? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shock you here. My, my driver of the day was Daniel Ricciardo. Um, well, I thought I thought he had a really fantastic race, especially considering this was evidently the first weekend he clicked the car. Um, I I was really happy watching Ricardo today. It just brought me back to the years he was at Red Bull. Um, it's like it's like we've got Daniel back. He was it's like it's like he's been on holiday for three or four years. It, it, you know he's not been himself, has he? So it's great to see him back today. And uh, the race rate, I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. Um, considering it was France, I think that deserves a higher rating because we actually had spies from start to finish. So, yeah. Good. Well, um, the official driver of the day, by the way, um, from F1 was uh, Max Verstappen. And he was also, what we forgot to mention, uh, got the point for the fastest lap. Um, But I'm going to give you my driver of the day. And Cal, I'm going to agree with you, mate. Daniel Ricciardo. He was mine before you'd said it. I thought, yes. Danny's back and he pulled some incredible moves and he was racing. So I'm very, very glad to see him. Um, and I'm going to give the race uh, rating, I'm going to give it an 8.5. Dan? If we're giving, well, not we're, but if you're giving Daniel driver of the day, both of you, you've got to give Norris a lot of credit as well. Because if this is Daniel at his best, he still finished ahead of, Norris still finished ahead of Daniel. So that shows Norris's superb drive. He went from eighth to fifth. So fair play to him as well. So that was a good race. Um, we've got a triple header. So that means we've got two more uh, yes. continuous weeks of racing. Um, we are uh, back with the Styrian Grand Prix next week. And then it's the Austrian Grand Prix. Little spoiler, they're both in exactly the same place on the same track. Uh, no. Are you sure? Listen, some, really? people might, some people might not know that. Do you know that, Cam? Well, I do now. Wow. <laughs> Mind blown. <laughs> um, and it is the home of Red Bull. So, uh, yeah, they're favourites to win next week as well. So this is just getting worse and worse. Well, why can't we have a double header at Silverstone? Can I Can I just say, very quickly, I, I, I think Mercedes is going to be nowhere next week. I think Red Bull are going to dominate because that's they always do well at Austria. Always. McLaren did well last year. Daniel Ricciardo's just come into form. Lando's been in very good form. I can see a, a Red Bull McLaren podium. I think Mercedes are going to get left behind next week, for the next two weeks even. Funny you say that, because I was just about to say the exact opposite of that. I was going to say, although it's a Red Bull track, Mercedes have been better there in recent years. Bottas won one race last year. I believe Hamilton won the other one. One race last year. <laughs> he won more than one race last year. Just the race at Austria, the opening race. Red Bull, I don't think, will be as close as we think they're going to be. Personally. Red Bull but will win that race. We'll, we'll see. Both of you have completely different opinions. This is why this season is brilliant. You know what I'm saying? Though? You're always going to back Mercedes. I'm always going to back Red Bull. I'm not. I'm switched I'm it not. up and back McLaren here, if anything else. So... No, I'm not always going to back Mercedes right, at all. Break it up, you two. I, I, I'm going to just say what I think. Um, I think Red Bull will be dominant. I think it will be very close. No, no, that didn't make sense. I th- <laughs> for what it's worth... The dollars are very close. <laughs> for, for, uh, I don't know why that cracked me up so much. <laughs> That's Sorry. I, I don't know why. It wasn't even that funny. 
For what it's worth. Send it into chaos, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. <laughs> for what it's worth, I think it's going to be a lot closer than you two think. And I will agree that McLaren are going to be right up there. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, you deserve an award. Um, and it means you've enjoyed it. So go press five stars on iTunes. Leave us a review. And subscribe. That's the most important thing. Otherwise, you'll miss it next time. Uh, Cal, have you got any closing remarks? Yeah, I have, actually. Um, what I do want to say is that, well, obviously, we do a new segment at the start of every podcast. So if you listen to, po- listen to the podcast and then you're thinking, well, what am I doing for the rest of the week? Go to formulaneers.com because that's where we get all of our news from. We have a very good team of writers who are always on the latest news, put it up very quickly. We're usually the first to do it. Not always, but usually the first. So go there for your news during the week and then listen to us say it again because it's always nice to do that, isn't it? Yeah, well said, Cal. Well said. Uh, we have got a fantastic team of writers, Dan being one of them. Um, and we've also, we've been interviewing Pirelli this week, you know. Uh, shout out to Charlotte for putting that together as well as Dan. Um, Dan, is there anything you want to uh, add before we call it? No, other than... I want to slightly go back on my previous statement. Although I still think Mercedes will win, I think it will be quite close because of the Hamilton Red Bull fight and Bottas goes well at Austria, so he might be a bit more in the fight. That's what we all want, really, isn't it? We want as many people in that fight for the win as possible. We do, we do. Um, So thank you very much for listening. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, Cal, thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, Dan, thank you, sir. Thank you.